problem, or there is a marital problem, or there is a domestic problem, there is a problem with the children, there is some te temptation, some habit, some secret something that's got a hold of people all over the United States of America, and they wake up with tons of money, tons of possessions, tons of position, yet, 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 they are lepers. Every day our nation wakes up, powerful, mighty, no military force in the world can match us. Yet, every day we wake up with the leprosy of abortion, the leprosy of drug abuse, the leprosy of child abuse. There comes a time, folks, when even though you've got a lot going for you, if something is eating you on the inside, it's time to turn to God. There was only one answer for this man. I just find it fascinating that God brought a maid with a message. You know, this little girl had no idea when she was captured in war, and I want you to see the sovereignty of God here, because she was captured in war. Now, I try to put myself in the mind of this little girl. She had been in Israel. She knew about Elisha. She knew about the, the dynamic duo, the prophetic team. She knew about Elisha. She knew that the miracles were performed by this man in the name of Jehovah. And yet, suddenly, there is a war. There's a raid. The Syrians come in and raid their land. And do you think that she was thinking in her mind when she was captured, God is in this? No, no, no. She was thinking, oh, no, what are they going to do to me? Where am I going to be taken? What's going to become of me? You know, folks, even when the winds blow and the rains fall and the floods hit our house, you've got to believe that somewhere God is in it, working his plan out. You got to know that no storm is greater than God. No wind is greater than God. No fire is greater than God. No valley is deeper than God. No mountain is so high that God can't reach it. You got to know that even in the, in the eye of the storm, God is in charge. It says He has His way in the whirlwind and in the storm. This little Israeli girl is captured. She's taken off, no doubt, in chains in some kind of caravan, taking slaves back to Syria. Maybe she was particularly gifted. Maybe she was particularly good at something. I don't know why she ended up in Naaman's household, but she ended up serving Naaman's wife. And God put her on the inside of a problem. She didn't stop and think, well, I'm going to be a witness for Jehovah. I'm going to be a witness for Elisha. She had no idea that God's hand was moving. She just knew what she knew what she knew. You know, you have no idea the power you've got just knowing that Jesus is Messiah. You have no idea. See, God takes us like chess pieces and places us even in storms, even in trouble sometimes. Like a chess piece, he places us. He took this little girl, placed her where a miracle could begin. Well, she's sitting there attending to his wife one day brushing her hair, talking to her, and the wife apparently muttered, my husband, I need to talk to you. My husband, can I talk to you? You're my servant. I'm just going to go ahead and talk to you. My husband has a problem. What? He's a leper. No. I didn't see it. He's a leper. And if something's not done... He's going to die. It's going to kill him. God's got his chest piece right 
there in the center of Syrian power. She says, oh, really? Well, I know a man. Come on, everybody. This is powerful stuff. I know a man who can heal him. See, you think you're at your job by mistake. You think you're doing what you're doing by mistake. You're asking God to work out a better plan. Well, he might someday, but has it occurred to you that you're a chess piece divinely placed by God because you know a man? Come on, everybody. Come on. All, she didn't have to be a doctor. She didn't have to be a lawyer. She just had to be a witness. What's a witness? I saw something. See, that world out there wants to see what we say we saw. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to be good looking. You don't have to be talented. You just got to have seen something. She says, I know of a prophet in Israel, and if he could get to him, he would be healed. Oh, that moves me. Now, don't you know that little girl suddenly realized, ah, oh, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm here. I didn't understand why I was here until she told me what she told me. Now I know why I'm here. Don't you know after that man was healed, Naaman was healed, don't you reckon when he got back to Syria, healed, whole, believing in the living God, don't you know he blessed that little Israeli girl for her witness? Come on, everybody. Come on. Say with me, all you got to do is know something. She said to her mistress, if only my master were the prophet, or, or were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him. He would heal him of his leprosy. That's how certain she was of the ministry, the restorative healing ministry of Elisha. Who is it in your life to whom you need to say, if only you knew my Jesus, he would heal you. If only you knew my Jesus, he would deliver you. If only you knew my Jesus, he would move in your life. He would change your life. He would make a difference. If only you knew who I know. Naaman was so looking for hope, so looking for any answer, he seized on it. Got a chariot, got a bunch of horsemen, and headed straight for Elisha's house. Now, folks, i got to tell you something. As he was going there, he got a picture in his mind, and we do this all the time. He was forming a picture in his mind. Oh, so this is a healer. So I know what he's going to do. I'm a great man. And since I'm a great man, there's going to be a great dynamic miracle to match my greatness. I know, I know, I know. I, that's what's going to happen when I get there. So here's what he's going to do. He's going to come to the door, because after all, no matter how great he is, I'm great too, so I know he'll come to the door. And don't we say, when we are expecting God to do a miracle in our lives, we formulate, we say to ourselves, here's the way he's going to do it. Here's the way he's going to answer that prayer. Here's the way he's going to move. Here's when he's going to move. I believe that I've just got it down. I know this is the way that God is going to do it. And you know, you can't put God in the box. Because God, listen, all you got to do is look at the ministry of Jesus he healed one blind man by spitting in his eye. He healed the next one by spitting in the dirt, making mud, and sticking that in his eye. Every time he healed, he did it differently. To a deaf man, he stuck his fingers in their ear. To another one, he spit on his fingers, then stuck it in his ears. You never knew what he was going to do. What I'm trying to tell you is you can't put him in a box. Right when you think you've got him nailed down, you don't. Because he doesn't want you able to say, oh, I knew you were going to do it that way. No, he wants you. You know what a wonder is? 
is when you wonder. He does signs and wonders. You don't, you, listen, a wonder is that which makes you wonder. That's right. So he's not going to do it the way you thought he was going to do it because then you wouldn't wonder. He wants you going, That is, those are the noises of wonder. Uh, uh, no. Oh, gosh. Wow. Shazam, Gomer would say. <laughs> so he'll, he'll do a wonder, and it always makes you wonder. So he said he's going to come out, and then here's what he's going to do. He's going to wave a wand over my leprosy so that everybody watching will go, wow, now that dynamic miracle matches the greatness of the man. Mm-mm. Let me tell you something. He didn't do that at all. He didn't even come to the door. Here is Naaman, the captain of the Syrian host. Do this, do that, go here, go there. He doesn't even come to the door. He sends some little lowly servant. Uh, he said, go to the Jordan, seven times dip. <laughs> what? What? Now that made him wonder. What? You don't understand who you're talking to. You don't understand who I am. I am Naaman. So, you're dying, aren't you? you got leprosy, don't you? He's not impressed. Go to the Jordan. Dip seven times. It says he went into a rage. He went into a rage. You know what the problem was? You know why God sent him to the door and told him to do that? Because Naaman had another leprosy. He had two. And the second one was about to destroy him quicker than the first one. Leprosy would have taken years. His pride just about did it for him that day. Because pride was his problem. Now, folks, let me tell you something about God. Anything he asks you to do, when it comes to restoring you, it's going to be something that will hit your pride and cause you to humble yourself. There is no restoration without humility. Now listen to me carefully. There's not any. There is no restoration without humility. There's just not any. You don't ever see in the Bible any place where he restored anybody to anything without humility. The reason he went into a rage was because of his pride. All of his men were there looking. Those that did anything he said were at his beck and call. They heard this little servant tell him to go down to the Jordan and dip seven, what, what, dip seven times. What is that? I associate healing with the waving of a wand, like a magician. What is this? What do you mean, dip seven? What do you mean, dip down in some muddy, cold river seven times? That doesn't make any sense. Listen, law number two, when God restores, it's not going to make sense. What he tells you to do so often doesn't make intellectual sense. 
What sense does it make to come down here and have somebody splash oil on your head? What sense does it make? Much of what Jesus told us to do, bless those that curse you, you got to be kidding me. Do good to those that hate you, you must be kidding. Pray for those who are despitefully using me and persecuting me, you have got to be joking. That doesn't make intellectual sense. It flew in the face of his pride. God knew something. God knew if this man is not humbled, he will never be healed. If he's not humbled, he'll never be healed. And he will never know me. He'll never know me. If I do exactly what he wants, the way he wants it, when he wants it, he will never know me. So he's got to, he's got to come to me my way. If he doesn't come my way, there is no way. If he doesn't come the way I say, he's not going to make it at all. See, we don't like that. Now, let me tell you what I hear. Let me tell you what I hear in Naaman's voice. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean dip in the Jordan seven times? And if I've got to dip in some water seven times, can't I go to the Farper River? Can't I go to the Arbana River? Why can't I go to a classier river? Now, here's what I hear. Why can't I get my healing my way? I'm concerned about what people are thinking. I'm concerned about what they see. I'm concerned about their opinions of me. I want everybody maintaining the mental disposition that I am great. And if I go dip in that stupid Jordan River that's muddy and cold, believe me, I've been in it. If you get baptized in the Jordan, it's going to take your breath away because it's freezing. And it's muddy. It's lowly. It's not the, the uh, classy rivers. It's not the Farper. It's not the Arbana. It's, it's not classy. He said, he said, why can't I come to you my way? Why can't I get to you by meditation? The Farfer River. Why can't I get to you by meditation? Why can't I get to you by doing good things? Why can't I be healed by just giving a bunch of money away to the poor? Why can't I get this nasty thing taken care of in a classy way so nobody thinks negative of me? Now let me just home right in to the bullseye here. Do you know why the cross is a stumbling block to so many people? Because no way you're going to the cross proud. No way you're going to the cross arrogant. No way you're going to the cross your own way. No way you're going to the cross under your terms. You've got to go to the cross on his terms, in his way. And there's only one way to go to the cross. And that is to go and say, Lord, I am a sinner dip. I have transgressed against God dip. I was born in sin dip. Shaped in iniquity dip. I can't help what I'm doing because I'm a sinner by nature dip. I'm separated from God. Can't get there my own way dip. And then you go to that cross and you go on his terms. This was the problem. This was the problem with Abel. Cain and Abel. Now, not with Abel, with Cain. Cain brought to God an offering that he came up with. A vegetable offering. God said, no, 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 you're going to have to come to me by blood. You're going to have to come to me by the blood. 
Abel brought him a meat offering where we know he spilled blood. Something gave up blood for his sins to be forgiven. And God was teaching them way back there in the Garden of Eden that the only way they were going to be redeemed, forgiven, was by blood. Abel understood it. So he brought to God a meat offering. Something had been killed. But Cain said, no, 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 I'm coming my way. And he brought a vegetable offering, offered it to God, and he refused it. And same thing as Naaman. Cain became furious, and it says his countenance was darkened. What was the problem? He was angry that God did not let him come to him on his terms. It was a strange offering. A, 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 an unrighteous offering, a righteous, uh, an offering of his own creation. And God rejected it. And soon after God rejected it, he killed his brother. When he didn't come to God on God's terms, it opened the door to the devil. And God himself said to him, said to him, the, the lion waits at the door to devour you unless you do it my way. But he didn't do it his way. And when he came to God on his own terms and his own way, the, he opened the door for the devil to get in and destroy his life and murder his brother. Naaman was the same way. I want to do it in that river, this river. Why should I go down to the Jordan? I don't like this. It's the way of the cross. The Jordan is a picture of the cross. You've got to go to God on his terms. I've got to tell you something today, folks. We've got to get back to there is only one. I'm not ashamed to tell the whole culture there's only one way you're ever going to be saved. It's not going to come by Muhammad. He didn't die for your sins. He never said that he did. He didn't even talk about sin. It's not going to come by Confucius. It's not going to come by Buddha. It's not going to come by good works. It's not going to come by something of your own creation, a vegetable offering. It's not going to come that way. You can have your little Farper River or Arbana River. You can have them if you want them. Go ahead and pitch tent there the rest of your life. But you will never get to him. You'll never be restored. You'll never be healed. It takes humility. It takes humility. When I think of the day that I went to the cross... See, that's why people, you can, you can go watch Billy Graham preach to a stadium of people. When the camera pans them, you can see the faces. Hmm. I was watching a little bit last night. Some of them are, hmm, amen, Billy. Some of them are scowling. You can see the resistance on their face. I'm going to tell you what's going on in their mind. What are not the Arbana or the Farper my own way? Isn't my way going to get me there? Can't I do this thing my way? I know I need to be restored, but can't I do it my way? And you see this resistance in the inside of people. I remember I had to admit that I was a sinner. Humble. I had to admit that he was right and I was wrong. Humble. I had to admit that he was the only way I was going to get there. I've been in Eastern meditation. I've been out in the woods meditating on the forest. I've done all that stuff. Nothing got me there. That was my Farper. That was my Arbana River. <laughs> Only when I went his way and dipped into that blood did I experience the Holy Ghost like electric current enter my body. Did I come into contact with God? Did I begin to fellowship with Him? It was through Jesus. There's only one way, one salvation. God does not apologize for giving us one way. It keeps it from being confusing. Come on, everybody.
The cross is a stumbling block to those that perish. They don't like it because it requires humility. God has to break you. That's why the preaching of the Word of God is like a hammer. It's like a sword. It's like a chisel. It's like a fire. Because I can't change you. I can't persuade you. Only the Word of God, smashing against the resistance built up in your heart, can batter its way through and bring you to humble yourself before the living God. Think about the ways of God. They're always humbling. Going to a brother or sister that has offended you and telling them they offended you is humbling. That's why we avoid it. Forgiving an offender is humbling. Asking forgiveness of somebody else is humbling. Admitting a fault, it's humbling. Confess your faults one to another, pray one for another that you may be healed. The reason a lot of people don't do that is because it's pr their pride. It's humbling to do that. Coming forward in a healing line and having oil put on your forehead is humbling. Admitting a financial need is humbling. The Jordan is a picture of the place of humbling. But it's in humility, and only in humility, we're ever restored or healed. Are y'all with me today? So I see this great man walking down there. His men have already said, hey, you get healed, that's great. He walks down there. Do you know what it had to have been like? to see this mighty Syrian captain step into those rushing waters by himself until he's about waist high in water and goes in a little bit deeper and then looks around and realizes everybody's watching. It's like going to an altar. Everybody's watching. And can you imagine how he sucked in his first breath deeply said here goes and he humbled himself I want to be healed I want to be healed I don't care you know you know you're ready to be healed but you don't care what anybody thinks on your way to your healing so this great man he says if I don't get healed, I'm the world's biggest idiot. But if I do, I'm healed. So down he goes. But no, that's not enough for God. One, two. Every time he dips, more pride is stripped away. Three. Well, I'm in this far. I might as well go all the way. Four. He's looking around. His men are up on the bank. There's probably some others from around town. I guarantee you, I don't know, the Bible doesn't say, but I promise you, you could have heard a pin drop on a shag carpet. I think fourth dip, fifth, everything was as quiet as a church in the dead of night. Six. touches me because he was saying pride's gone God please here goes seven I uh I thought 
Camino Sevens, the number of completion. It appears all the time in the ministries of Elijah and Elisha. God created earth in six days, the seventh day. He rested. It's done, and it's good. Elijah sent his servant seven times to look for the rain, and on the seventh trip, he came back and said there was a cloud the size of a man's hand. He said, prepare for rain. He performed, Elijah performed seven great miracles in his life. Elisha, 14, a multiple of seven. Elisha stretched himself over the dead child who, when being restored to life, sneezed seven times. Moses released seven plagues on Egypt, and their deliverance was uh, secured at the seventh. Naaman, on the seventh dip into the water, comes out. And the Bible says, <laughs> I don't know where it was, probably somewhere in here. He came out, and I guarantee you, he didn't care anymore. He just looked. And I just lost my mic. And look, and look, and look. Can you imagine? He looked. I think he lost it. I really do. I think he just went crazy. I think he had a benefit. You know, we have fear fits. We have worry fits. Why not benefits? I think he had a benefit. I think he just became a Pentecostal dancer in that water on the spot. I think he just went wacko nuts. I think he came out of there shouting, healed, healed, restored. And then he went straight to his aides. And they went straight to Elisha's house. He said, now I know that the real and only God is in Israel. God said, two birds with one stone. I healed his body, but his soul would have gone straight to hell. Now he believes in me. So I did something far better, far greater when he was only thinking of the leprosy. And that's the way God does with you and me. We got a need, and we ask him to take care of the need, and we have no idea when he takes care of the need. He's killing lots of birds with one stone. He accomplishes a lot with one restoration, one healing. So here's the message of this story. Elisha, the prophet of restoration, the message of the story is there is no restoration apart from humility. you got to humble yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. In his humility, he was healed. What is it that God's wanting to touch in your life today? What's he wanting to restore? I want to promise you two things, and I'm going to close with this. One, he wants to touch that area that he's restoring more than you want him to. Two, he's going to tell you to do something to get restored that's going to humble you. It's going to humble you. You may have to confess something to somebody. You may have to come down in a healing line. You may not even know Jesus as your Savior. And you know what? He's going to ask you to go to that cross and say, not my way. I don't have vegetables with me. I have no vegetable offering. I don't want an Arbana or a Farfar River. I'm coming your way. This is it. I'm coming to the Jordan, and the Jordan is your cross. And I'm believing that your blood and your blood only covered my sin. There is no other blood ever shed on earth, ever will be. It's a once-for-all sacrifice. The writer of Hebrews said, once-for-all. He shed his blood for us. Nothing else will bring the Spirit of God in contact with your spirit and change you from the inside out. 
but going to the Jordan, going to the cross, and letting him cover you. That's it. Now, anything else that needs restoring, you have to go to the cross there too. Because of that cross, all your healing was secured. You go there, say, what do you want me to do? What's it going to take for me to get restored? What's it going to take? I know it's going to humble me. I'll do it. I'm not great at all when I'm at the foot of the cross. All are equal there. What do you want me to do? Do I need to go to somebody? Do I need to come to you? Do I need to change some things in my life that's going to humble me? Crucify my flesh that always humbles you. What's it going to take? And I'll do it. On the other side of that humbling yourself and obedience will be your restoration. Would you stand with me today? I'm going to ask us right now just to take a moment. I sense God here, and I know this has spoken to many of you. It's sure spoken to me. He touched me when I was preaching this word. That man, I so understand him. It was hard for him to do, but he did it. With your heads bowed, can you imagine the tragedy? If he had allowed his pride to make him ride away on his horse and go back to Syria without ever going to the Jordan, can you imagine the tragedy? Dying, eat up by leprosy, all because you wouldn't humble yourself to God. Sin is a leprosy. Is there sin in your life that God's saying, I'm going to restore you from it if you'll humble yourself? I want us to take a moment, and I want you to ask the Lord while your head's bowed. Lord, is there anything in my life that needs to be restored? And if so, what are you telling me to do to get it right?